Hello, everybody. This is Ryan C. I'm on the TPN network now. You can find me there. And now you can find Ian Rodriguez here on the PCS podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody. The Sunday edition of the Pinball and Cool Stuff Podcast. This is Ian Rodriguez. It is Sunday, 12-20-2020. My birthday is tomorrow. It's going to be an exciting birthday. We're going to go to Captain's Auction Warehouse in Anaheim, California to play some games. They have a wonderful showroom there I have yet to visit. Looking forward to playing some new pinballs, old pinballs. And, of course, my very own... P3 on their showroom floor. That's right. My game was purchased by Captains from my wife. It sits on their floor. I don't think they're going to sell it. I think it's a good thing, though, because um, there's a lot of exposure there at Captains. It's the most popular showroom probably in California. They sell a lot of games. They auction a lot of games. They're a really good uh, operation, really honest, cool people. Shout out to Cece, who works there. One of the coolest women I've ever met in the hobby. Really looking forward to meeting them again and playing some games. It's going to be a lot of fun. So tomorrow, that's happening. After some work, um, Ryan C. came out today, introduced the show. Thank you. You know, Ryan C. was head-to-head pinball with Marty Robbins in Australia for a number of shows, right? They were like the number one podcast with Canada for a long time. They were probably my favorite before I found out about, out about Canada. And then they broke up, and then there was like hiatus here and there. And then Ryan C. found his way back to podcasting via the Pinball Network. And I think he did like two shows, um, two different shows, I should say. But now he does Jesse J's Pinball Adventures, I think it's called. And um, it's an interesting podcast. There's a, a lady from Australia who joins him, or who hosts the show, and he's kind of like the co-host. And I guess Jesse J is like this woman who's not played a lot of pinball, but she's like learning about it. So it seems to me that the premise of the show is that she's being educated about the hobby while she podcasts about the hobby. So it's kind of interesting to hear perspective from that point of view. She doesn't know about... Um, some things, right? So Ryan's kind of like the, the knowledgeable party there. Um, it's an interesting show. Um, so yeah, check it out. It's on the Pinball Network. Pinball Network's got a whole slew of podcasts available on their um, various platforms. So they like essentially compress every show into one channel. So you just have like a variety of shows as the as the days go on, and you can listen to whatever shows pop up as they come. So it's kind of like just the central location for a whole bunch of content on pinball. What's the pinball content these days? Well, of course, the uh, Raza release. I was listening to the Slam Tilt podcast. Ron Hallett, Bruce Nightingale. Um, It's interesting. Like The Raza claim was like they're going to make pinballs cheaper and everything else and better. And um, so Raza comes out, and I think they're ordering now, and they're opening, opening their production. That's really nice. Should be cool to see something on location soon. I'm sure there'll be one at the museum in a number of months. But um, 
I think the pricing things got me down a little bit. I thought they'd be like $4,500, maybe $5,100. I think their starting point for their games is $5,800. Um, that's kind of like their base model. And then they sell customizable, you know, games. So you can like order a game like Spooky where you just pick your options. So you can just increase or, you know, choose your options and increase your order. So that's interesting. But really, if you order what would be kind of coined a premium machine, it'll, it'll probably come out to a stern premium. So I'm not sure what we're getting in the way of a bargain with Deep Root, but I guess we'll see. It looks like there's plenty of orders already coming in and people are showing their invoices off on pin side and everything. I'm happy for those buyers. I think that machine, Raza, is a lot more exciting than a new machine like Led Zeppelin for the, for the reasons I probably already went over in the last couple of shows. Um, so yeah, well, I was on pin side last week after podcasting on the release day and I was commenting in the thread, and I guess it was the hype thread, right? So naturally in a hype thread on pin side, you're going to get a lot of love and a lot of hate. Um, I went on kind of a, a little rant there. Um, if you want to follow me on pin side, I'm head boss hog. I guess under head underscore boss underscore hog, I think it is, or just head boss hog with spaces. So I went on there, and I was, I was commenting on the game. I wasn't addressing any user of Pinside or any member specifically. I was just addressing the forum and I was talking about what I talked about on my last podcast and um, there, was a, there was a gentleman on there, maybe a lady, commenting back to me really negatively saying that I was asinine and like an, I was an asinine commenter, an asinine post. So I, I replied to this, what's, what's asinine about my post? I'm just stating my opinion. I, I mean, what is asinine about it? So this person went forward and uh, said, well, everything you posted is asinine. Really not answering my question. Uh, but that poster went on to insult me by saying, I can type slower if you need me to. Like, I guess the implica- or the inference there is that I'm stupid. Um, really hurt my feelings. And then he said, uh, or I can write it in crayon and post it in a picture on like a paper for you if you want to, if, if that would help you read it. So, really interesting. People get very attached to these games, and I understand why. There's a lot of passion in the hobby, and it's great. But um, if you can't sit there and talk with your fellow hobbyists about why you think a game is good or bad, then isn't that censorship? Anyway, maybe not censorship, but um, there's no need to get all negative and insult people or whatever. I don't know. I never really insult people in life or in Pinside or anywhere. I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to create enemies. I just want to talk about what my thoughts are. So that's why this thing exists, and that's why Pinside should exist, to kind of nurture that uh, dialogue and see what people really think. But I think there's a lot of upvoting going on for the posts that are like mine, and my, my post got upvoted, as well as several other posts that got upvoted for commenting about what their negative thoughts were about the game. And um, so here we are, what, about five days removed from Stern's release, and um, it seems that the LEs are probably sold out, um, naturally, right? It's going to happen. Um, but now we're looking at the video on demand on Stern's website, and here goes Led Zeppelin in the background, right on time. So I'm looking at the video on demand. I don't think it's available anywhere else, so you have to go to Stern's website and log in, And because uh, I think of DMCA violations, they had to license the rights to stream the music during the stream, so YouTube wouldn't allow that, and Led Zeppelin probably didn't want that either. So there they go, they have the license to stream the music on their own, website only, 
and they did that. So that's nice, you got to see the game without any of the music hidden or muted from the stream. Um, and what are my first impressions? So you look at the play field when it's dark and there's nothing going on, and you see open space. Lots of open space. Um, the same is true on the stream, you're looking at a lot of play field. And there is literally two-thirds of the play field which is unoccupied. And then of course this magic, secret magic machine pops up and um, that is a mech underneath the play field which kind of emerges, right? But otherwise the, the entire play field is pretty barren. Um, so that's, that's something I commented on before was like once in a while you get something in the play field that creates an interesting moment but it's not frequent. Maybe it is, um, but either way it's not, a, it's not a resident on that real estate of the play field, right? It's just temporary. So let me say some good stuff first. I think that the, um, the side art lights that they did in the uh, side art are pretty, pretty brilliant. They are strobing, they flash, they change colors, RGB. It's really brilliant. I think it's a really nice integration of really obvious technology. It's about time they used it. And I like the fact that they're not jumping you for the upgrade like they did with the UV light kit on Stern Stranger Things. That's nice. So, um, yeah, that's a positive note. On the, uh, the middle mech, so the disappearing ball thing, the spinner, it's interesting, all right? It's, um, you know, Wonka had the hidden, hidden uh, scoop from the Gobstopper mech. I, li I liken it to that only in the way that it's, it will take the ball and disappear the ball, and it's not always on the play field. It's not always open. That's kind of cool. The spinner is pretty neat, I will say that. I guess we've never seen a spinner pop up from the middle of the playfield. That's kind of cool. The magnets, magnets work anytime, so I'm glad they use magnets here. So that's a good decision, um, but does it redeem the game? I'm not so sure. I'm just not sure. Um, the light show, <clears throat> let's talk about the light show. I think the light show is a stern light show, so they just kind of went with their usual. Um, nothing to write home about, it's RGB pretty good but you know it's still stern light show it's not spooky light show it's not a jjp light show heck it's not even american pinball light show who has pretty dang good light shows go have a look at hot wheels so yeah the light show is underwhelming um next is the um so tim sexton was commenting during the stream about each flipper can backhand the ramp right so all the ramps are backhandable as it were by either flipper um, and my first thought was, I was reminiscing about playing a lot of Sega games. I had a Viper Night Drive-In, I played tons of Sega games, you know. Um, it's interesting because on the Sega games, you could pretty much backhand every ramp, and I'm not sure that's a good thing. And it's like, it's a little too easy. I like to, I don't know, maybe I like the challenge of the isolated flipper only being able to hit that ramp. Um, I like that aspect of the games. Where you, where you can't do that. So that they made it possible in this game, I'm not sure it's a good thing, but for less experienced players, it probably is a, a great upgrade because they want, an they want to access every ramp all the time. So that's fine, but really for people who play a lot, I'm not sure that's like, oh wow, thanks, you know? So that is a negative in my book. I'm watching the stream right now as I talk and it's the animations, the animations are like, okay, they're custom cartoonish animation. I mean, they look nice. Um, they don't change my opinion too much. Um, when you watch the Guns N' Roses animation in comparison, they're way better. They're way cleaner, way more intricate. 
The concert footage on, on GNR is amazing. I'm not sure you're getting that with Led Zeppelin. So really you're kind of missing the band a little bit there. And of course the Hindenburg is all over the animations, which is the way they wanted to go with that in every respect on this game. So you get a lot of blimp. If you like blimps, this is like the game you need. If you're like an aerospace fan and you love the industry and you love the history of aerospace in America and the world and the world at large, then this like blimp thing is going to light your fire. So buy the game. Um, yeah, so they have uh, the, the comments that I've heard about the art on this game and every model of it, not just the LE or premium, are pretty negative overall because they understand and they're all agreeing that they're using album art cut and paste onto the cabinet and then they're using the exact same album art on the back glass. So it's literally cut and paste album art, no custom art for the back glass, no custom art for the cabinet. And to match your cabinet with your back glass, doesn't it seem lazy to you? I don't know. Cheap, lazy, whatever whatever you want to call it. You can guarantee that Led Zeppelin did not allow them to do any changes there, right? So they said, we want it all in the same. So you're getting a very generic feel when you, you know, even if you're a band lover and you know their album art, it would have been really cool to see a an interpretation of Led Zeppelin from an artist's point of view. That's why Iron Maiden's really neat. That's why all these machines that they've made before are really neat. Beatles is amazing, the art, my gosh. Beatles let them do what they wanted. Chris Franchi killed it. So yeah, to go to this now where you're like, yeah, it's just album art everywhere. And it's the same image everywhere. Really curious. Obvious restriction from the licensor in that case. So. That, that does take away significant collection value because it just doesn't look interesting. It doesn't look unique, impressive, new, right? It's not novel. So that's the uh, stream digest of my thoughts there. All right, so um, let me move on. There is a, let's see here. <laughs> There's a show on the Pinball Network called Just Another Pinball Show by this gentleman um, named, I want to say, Joel. Um, it's a pretty good show to, if you want to go check it out. It's an interesting listen. Lots of game review, right? So he's kind of like me, but um, a little different because he, he does a lot more possibly in-depth game reviews, kind of like Buffalo Pinball does. Um, an interesting thing I thought about his show is that he's in love with Stranger Things, all right? The, the pinball machine that has been panned really in the industry and the hobby generally, he loves it. Um, his perspective on ownership and the reason why he loves it is, is not based on maybe what a pinball player would want. Rather, it's kind of a collector's vision where he's like, I want games that non-pinball players will like. I want games that anybody can come in and enjoy, right? Like people who don't play. So that's, that weighs heavily on his opinion of the game. People like the game who don't play. Um, uh, I mean, which games are broadly appealing, right? Like, So you look at big movie games like Guardians or... Um, you know, like even Deadpool, people are like, oh, I saw the movie, I'm going to play the game, right? So it's just appealing to people because the theme. Um, so Stranger Things being such a popular show is obviously appealing to general public, and um, they don't care about shots, they don't care about playfield designs and music and whatnot. They just want to hit shots and have, some, have a little bit of fun and get a multi-ball. So attacking that monster behind the um, gigantic ramp is something that new players or players who don't know much about pinball really like. I have a different opinion about the game, of course. I think that 
thing was a big miss. That monster should have been mechanized, it should have been moving or something. And the ramp is just a big drive-in movie screen. And it's just kind of weird and obstructive. You don't see the play field very, very much. And then of course there's like 8,000 inserts on Stranger Things, so you don't see the play field really at all. There's not a lot of art. Um, I got an email from Jeff at TWIP, and he wanted to explain the TWIP voting system to me. Um, and you know my opinion about the TWIP voting was based on what Canada had said. So I had mentioned that I think it's a little bit unfair for there to be one, two, and three in the voting, or one, two, three, and four. I think it's one, two, and three. Anyway. Jeff explained it. He sent me this email. I can quote him here. Um, he said, I was listening to your podcast. I wanted to pass on some more info. So here I go passing it on to you. He said, the main advantage of following a 3-2-1 ranked choice voting system is that the voter has more options to let us know their favorites. I understand that. That's a very fair point. Allowing the voter the ability to choose a second and third choice gives them the opportunity to show their favoritism for more than just one. They still have the ability to only list a first choice and leave the others blank if they like, but they might also feel strong enough to give others some, some credit. We're hoping this will also help us ensure that the nominees have more broad support from the community instead of just being the ones with the most followers. We don't think that this will actually change the outcome as much as it might change the second and third place nominees. I understand that. I tend to agree with, with the meaning and the, I guess, the intent there. I, I agree with the intent. It's like, give incentives to those who don't always win. Give them maybe an ego stroke. Um, but I still probably believe in the one vote. I still do. And the reason is, is because of what Canada said, is that you love him or you hate him, and you'll vote two and three just to make sure he doesn't get the vote um, for other podcasts, right? So Jeff continued, consider someone who might have not have two podcasters that they listen to and they like them equally. Our past voting system, they'd only have to determine one vote. The other podcaster would be left out of the new, of the new system. I will still have to determine which of these two podcasts they prefer and give them their first choice vote, which gives them three points. They can give their second preferred podcaster a second choice vote of two points. Three choice options should provide a more community-based indication of what really are the top three favorites in each category while giving more options to the voters. I wanted to pass that on and let you know I wasn't aiming this at Canada or anything, though I think that is the angle he's going for. <laughs> so Jeff, thank you for the email. Um, thank you for the explanation. It's interesting. I mean, somehow there's a competitive atmosphere in podcasting. I know there's competitive atmosphere in YouTubing and streaming. That's fine. I think streamers are making a little bit of money, so they want to get viewers. That's all right. I'm not sure how much money podcasters are making. I would I would venture a guess that it's not much. But they're competitive for their own reasons. You hear shows bringing up their reviews, like uh, Slam Tilt, talking about their reviews at the tail end of their show from random listeners. And it's just kind of interesting that a lot of shows are begging for votes for Twippies. And a lot of shows are reviewing their reviews with the listeners, too. For whatever reason. I, I don't know. But, um... I don't know. I, I don't really care um, to go over the reviews. I don't really care to do that. It's just kind of an exercise in futility for me. But if they want to do that, that's fine. Um, I'm just interested to talk pinball and keep the conversation going and to make sure that I can look back and remember and use this as kind of a journal in my hobby. All right. So talking about negative reviews and reactions. All right. So... 
recently I've been kind of feeling like there's a there's a little bit of negativity trickling in. There's some games I don't like, and there's some aspects of games that I still don't like. Generally speaking, though, I love everything pinball. So I want to clarify any sort of cons- like conception or perceived malcontent that I might be. I'm not. I'm very positive. My perspective. Uh, let's just say this. My perspective on the different manufacturers. It's kind of like what I did in my What Makes You So Special podcast some months ago. I'll go over it really quickly here. So American Pinball makes really, really nice games that are well-built, well-lit, in my opinion, cleverly designed, and the themes are fun. That's what pinball should be. Well-built, good lights, fun, themes that are interesting, and creative. So they, they get a star for me. I will buy a game from them someday. I'm not sure when, but we'll see what happens next, right? Spooky. I think... I feel negative about Spooky, not because they're a terrible company or run by jerks or whatever. I don't think they're... They have a great culture of in the hobby. Everybody loves them. But I still think Spooky needs to give us more for the money. If we're going to be paying Stern Pro prices, I want a Stern Pro durability machine. I want a Stern Pro quality machine. And I want more hardware. I want more pinball, Okay. They have great, this Rick and Morty theme is amazing. So that's a huge feather in their cap. Scott Denisi's creative. His music and his lighting are incredible. Um, I just think we need more obvious hardware and items in the bomb. All right. Smoother gameplay and smoother designs might also help. So those are like critiques, but I still think that they're in it. They have a lot of fans and that's a good thing because I don't want anybody to go under. I want, I want more manufacturers in the environment. Stern, I still think Stern needs to give us more for the money. I still think they need to reduce the prices on the lower bomb games like Black Knight or even Led Zeppelin. I think they need to do that. Their games are well built. Their games have good themes. Their games are, they have a, a great team of designers and of coders, but we need more for the money. So balancing the positive and the negative here. JJP, we just need to make sure the code is engaging. So JJP makes great games, they're well built, they're fun. They have QC problems, obviously, with their playfield and whatever. That's old news. But I think the code issues are pervasive. And Wonka was a step forward, but still, maybe not enough. Um, I think they need to incorporate the theme in their coding better. I think that Guns N' Roses will be the best coded game that they will have released. But still, I'm hearing that it's too many multi-balls and it's just kind of like everything's lit. And if you keep the ball alive long enough, you could beat the game without any intent or any true goal in mind. Kind of like Pirates. You can reach the first three wizard modes without really knowing what you're doing. I've done it. And so my experience is like, I guess we should know what direction to go on their games a little easier. It's a roadmap that has a black tarp over it. Can't see it. And I don't think that their lighting code helps much there either. So unlike something like Pirates or Wonka, you're not sure what goal is where necessarily because it's, it's just not clear. All right. So GNR hopefully does a better job of that, but still I'm hearing it's just like you just keep flipping and you'll you'll get songs. You, there's no real direction. Just hit your shots. So I think Stern does that well. Going back a little bit here, they give you like pretty clear objectives when you play their games. You kind of know where you're going. The code is more certain and definite. I think it gives a player a chance to really hammer out what they want to when they hit the start button. So, all right. So 
Changing my mind on games. Uh, you know what? I probably got to reserve an entire episode for this. So I have these notes, and it's like literally, it's got to be 20 minutes of content. But let me just prime it and tease it here today by saying that I've changed my mind on a lot of games, and I've sold games and bought games, and I've sold games that I said I'd never sell. Um, and I have some, th- some thoughts on that. I had to do some reflection and take some notes on it, but I have some pretty uh, good thoughts on it and uh, about some of the conflicts that come when you want to buy a game and you've got to sell one. You're like, man, this is a game I never wanted to sell. And it's not always just because you don't like the game, right? There may be necessity, but changing your mind on games that you've committed to and convicted yourself to and, and bolted to the floor is now becoming commonplace for me. And I hope it doesn't in the future keep going that way because I want to keep a pretty broad collection. I want like 10 games. That's my goal. But obviously, not everything is possible when you want to buy a new game. You just you might have to make some tough decisions. So that's where this is going on my next podcast. I appreciate you listening today, everybody. Have a great Sunday. Go out. It's a beautiful Southern California Sunday. We're going to the beach today. And uh, maybe splash around in the water. The 54-degree water. Thank you for joining me, everybody. PCS Podcast is done. Thank you.